Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on my program, I have Robert Carrillo from the Central LA Church of Christ. And I'm really excited about talking to Robert about how to turn around situations that have been stuck for a while. Robert's truly an expert in the field in working with the San Diego Church, with Hope Worldwide, and now with the Central LA sector of the Los Angeles Church. Robert, it's great to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, bro. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We've known each other for a while now, and I've watched you from afar, but in a recent conversation on a, uh, a Zoom call, something that you said really struck me, and, and your, your experience in taking situations that are in difficult situations or maybe stagnant and turning them around really just struck a chord. And I think there's a lot of people listening. They're like, man, I, w- I want to learn how to be a turnaround expert. And I think all of us do. I think it's something that's uh, very, very important in any aspect of a, a ministry career, whether you're full-time or, or not, being able to turn around a situation that's not doing as well as, as you think it can be is, is super valuable. But before we get into that, let's just go back. And Robert, how'd you become a Christian? Um, I became a Christian a uh, long time ago, <laughs> back in 1984. <laughs> Um, at the University of San Diego, I was a sophomore in college, and uh, I had a guy sitting in front of me in Spanish class, Mr. Jeff Chacon, who probably some of you listeners, some of you guys know, um, invited me to Bible talk. I was I was a political activist organizing a rally, and uh, his dad was a politician who was a big spokesman for bilingual education, and I was trying to get his dad to speak at my rally. So he made me a deal that he would talk to his dad if I'd go to his Bible talk. And uh, long story short, went to Bible talk. Ten days later, I was baptized. <laughs> That's amazing. And what year What year was that? That, that was 1984. Wow. 1984. Well, yeah. well, back then, the San Diego Church had such a, a great, I mean, it was a great church. I think, was it called the Poway Church back then? It was the Poway Church of Christ. Yeah, just a little, little, little college church, you know, about half the membership were college students. Right. And Ron Brumley was there at the time? Yep. Ron Brumley, George Havens were the elders. Um, and uh, actually, Andy Lindo and Ed Townsend were the evangelists. Yes, I know Ed Townsend. Okay, terrific. Now, you mentioned you had dreams of becoming an activist when you were younger. How, how does that worked out? I mean, we talked about this in a different conversation. You wanted to kind of fall in, fall in the footsteps of maybe um, Cesar Chavez and, and tell me how, how that's developed over time. Um, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> we're all on a journey, right? So it's been an interesting journey. When I became a Christian, I got out of all activism, all, you know, because of the politics and everything. And it was what I needed to do. But the one thing that that never changed was I, I wanted to make the world a better place. I wanted to help people. And that was the heart behind the activism and the, and the political things I was involved in, which obviously transferred right over. And you know, as God would have it, the sermon that I first heard, the first sermon I heard was the radical Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Andy Lindo preached and and I just, I remember him talking about Jesus being, changing the world and and his radical movement. And I just loved it. I It was the perfect sermon for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had my dorm room full of posters of Che Guevara, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, all these heroes, Martin Luther King. And they all came down, and in a sense, at least in my heart, Jesus was my poster. You That's know, awesome. he was my my leader, and uh, yeah, that was it. I was in. I was hands and feet in, and that was my new cause and my leader. Wow, that's awesome. Now, can you? You've had a, obviously you've been a Christian a long time. I know you've led all over. Can you tell me where you've been? Can you just tell me a little bit about your 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 Christian life and your leadership career? Sure. Um, so I was, you know, converted in uh, 84 and um, finished college four years. And then uh, I went on the mission team, actually not quite four years. And at the end of 
of uh, 87, I was asked to go on the mission team to Mexico City. Wow. And this is when Boston was sending out all the mission teams all over. I think I think Hong Kong and Mexico City were planned at the same time. And I, so I went on the mission team to Mexico City, joined the 13 that were sent out of Boston and um, was there a year and a half. I got to be part of starting the campus ministry there on a La Unam, which was a campus of 150,000 students. And um, was there a year and a half, got married there. And then, then uh, I was actually super excited about planning a church in South America. And, you know, as God does some strange things, sometimes it always end up great. He, we got asked to plant the church in Miami because they needed a bilingual couple. And so Michelle and I ended up, you know, going to Miami, planning the church there, joining Sam and Jerry Lang who really took us on and thank God, cause we had just gotten married. So we were newlyweds and we got to be discipled and trained by Sam and Jerry Lang, which was wow. absolutely fantastic. Best time in life to be discipled by them. You know, he taught me about being a husband, but more than anything, he taught me about being a man of God. And, um, and so that was fantastic. And I went from an intern, basically arrived as an intern, uh, Three years later, I was leading the church, and wow. Sam Jerry moved to New York. And okay, then so was well, that was that's shift. 1987 sorry, when that happened. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so that you was went 87, there. 87. Uh, no, let's see. That's 87 when I went to Mexico City. 1990, I believe. Yeah, 1990 when Miami was planted, um, and then so we were there till 93. Big kingdom shift. All the Latin American leaders moved to Miami. And Steve and Lisa Johnson were discipling us and training us at that point. And they asked us to go and take over Puerto Rico. And so off we went to Puerto Rico. And that was really the first time I had a turnaround experience. Uh, the church had gotten stuck at around 50 members, started with 25, or about, about 25. And then it got it for three years, it gotten stuck. And this was a time when every church was baptizing 100 people every, you know, right at the beginning. And so that was so clearly something went wrong. And and that was our first experience of turning around a church. And we loved it there. We were three years in Puerto Rico. Um, it was about, I think about a couple hundred when we left. I don't remember the exact numbers, but uh, then we spent seven months in Jamaica and um, got to get close to a lot of different leaders there from the Caribbean. And then Steve and Lisa asked us to come to New York and, uh, it was funny because, you know, it's one of those situations where you're always praying, God, anywhere but New York, anywhere but New York. I was always <laughs> like, God, anywhere but New York. And then I got a request to come and spend the weekend. Oh, uh, boy. And I knew that was it. I yeah. was going to be asked. And uh, sure enough, we went to New York and uh, it ended up being fantastic. Uh, we got, we were trained by the Johnsons, by the Fridleys, by um, the Powells. And uh, just had a fantastic time. We loved New York. We ended up loving it. We were in Jersey and and uh, we uh, had a fantastic time. And that was another situation. You know, we, we turned around situation. We got a little group that was having a hard time. And and then that got turned around going great. And then got, we got asked to move to another part of the church and do the same thing again, turn around a group. And, and that ended up being just absolutely amazing. Rutgers University, a lot of Princeton and Rutgers, a lot of great people became Christians out of those campuses and, mm -hmm. and are in the ministry or leading things down. That actually became ended up becoming the Central Jersey Church of Christ. Right. Okay. That region. Right. I've and got then, an um, I've got an intern from that church. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. I'm grateful. Grateful for that oh, group, nice, of, group nice. of disciples. Yeah. He's great, actually great graduated church, from Rutgers. Group. Yeah. Yeah. And um so we loved that. And then uh, we spent the next nine years of our lives there. And um, due to Michelle's health, we ended up having to come back to California and walked into California, not on staff, not hired. Um, what year San was Diego, that? That was 2004. Okay. So it was after the big shakeup. So yes, not yes. a lot of salary money and people are getting off staff in droves at that time. Yep, they were they were firing people left and right. A month after I got there, Guillermo Adame got fired, um, and evangelists were dropping off, you know, like crazy. Right. And uh, um, I J Jeff Chacon was there, my old buddy who converted me, right. and uh, 
he asked me to go to staff with him. Mm. I wasn't on staff, started going to staff. Um, and it was, you know, it was just a very rough time. The church in San Diego was in a, was in a free fall. I mean, the, it was dropping members like unbelievable numbers. And, um, and I was asked to help out. So I just started helping out as a volunteer. And um, after a few months, they asked if I would lead the staff and, but they couldn't pay, you know, but, but, but I was able to go to staff meetings and help with the staff. And then about a year or two later, they hired me part-time, then half-time, then three-quarter time, like little by little. And, uh, but we got to get San Diego turned around. That was really an intense situation. Okay. So let's just camp out here, Robert, because this is, this is the, the one that really, you know, I, I was blown away, you know, this is before I'd ever met you personally, but I remember at that time, there were a lot of weak situations around the kingdom. I mean, there's a lot of situations that were struggling, yeah. but San Diego in particular, in my mind, was kind of the sick man of our fellowship. It was, yeah. uh, I had friends that were in the ministry, they'd been fired or, or let go. Um, didn't seem like there's a lot of leadership. Um, it seemed like the church was splitting into multiple congregations. I mean, yeah. people were leaving in droves. It was just kind of like, whoa. And and what was sad about it is I knew San, San Diego from when I was a young Christian in San Francisco. We had kind of a sister church relationship. And mm-hmm. San Diego had always been a very strong church, very stable. Gordon Ferguson was there. A string of really good leaders had been, had been there with a strong eldership. And then for it to be just so weak and so dysfunctional, um, mm-hmm. can you talk more about it, the situation you walked into and, and the process of turning it around? Tell me about, um, what you did, your mindset going into it. Sure. Yeah, it, it was, um, it was really, really sad. Uh, when we got there, uh, the, the, what there had, there was one particular individual who had risen up and, um, was campaigning against the staff, against the evangelists, against Guillermo, against the, um, and he had become president of the board and was basically out to eliminate almost the entire staff. And unfortunately became, uh, used some very unscrupulous, deceitful techniques to smear people's names. And it ended up hurting a lot of people and just completely undermining the trust of the church. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the, 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 the advantage I had was I had no recent history there. I loved the church. I had a lot of friends from college because San Diego's always had a very strong campus ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, so I knew a lot of people from back in the day and was able to make a lot of connections. But yeah, they were, we were about, to, the church was about to split into four different churches. There were some groups that even already had filed, were getting all their information and corporate papers together to incorporate. And um, and so I was able to to kind of come in with a whole new start. And, and by that time I had already figured out a pattern of what do you do, you know, to get somebody back on their feet. And, and truthfully, this pattern could be either helping a leader who's down on the ground or helping a group that was down on the ground. Okay, so and, it could work for like a small church situation of, oh, let's yeah. say, 37 disciples or oh, yeah. 300 or, yeah. or 600. Yeah. Okay, so Puerto it's Rico scalable. About 54. San Diego was about 850 at okay. that point. So in both situations, and it's the principle, and, and to be honest, when, while I was in Puerto Rico, I sat down, tried to figure out what did Jesus do to turn around God's people? Because obviously they were in a bad place when he came in. What did he do? And that's where I got my pattern, wow. as, as, as simple and corny as that sounds. But he came in, first thing, just calling people to repent for the kingdom of God is near. Mm-hmm. And the concept there is shuv, the Hebrew word shuv, to turn around to God. Um the interesting thing, you know, we usually we 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 only go as far as the Greek because it was recorded in Greek, metanoia, but but it's actually uh, that is the concept in the Old Testament of shuv to repent or to return to God, 
to turn around and come back to God. And so when I was asked, um, you know, to, to lead a region or I was, uh, yeah, I was asked to lead a region in San Diego. And then another region was asked to join our region. And then another region asked if they could join our region. So that became the mission region of San Diego, which ended up becoming two thirds of the church, just one region. And I literally asked them to, even though they were outer, you know, south in the area, south, way out east, asked them all if we could just meet in the center of San Diego. And whoever wants to be part of this region, because we're going to turn around and make something happen, they showed up. And um, we quickly had a region of about 600 people wow. out of the 800, well, about 500 people out of the 800 people in the church. Wow. And, um, and now, and Robert, at, at what point, what was the largest the church had ever been prior to that? 1700. 1700. So it was down to 800. 850. Yep. Oh my gosh. So it lost at least half of its membership. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was devastating. And uh, yeah. And uh, with that group, the mission, I I'd built enough, I had enough friends and built enough rapport and confidence and trust that we could basically launch into to what we knew would turn things around. And, and I, I did this first in the South with the small, the, the smaller region that at that point was called the South region. Um, and, and then the, and then another region, the East region joined us and we called it the South beast. Region. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a conglomeration of three Southern regions and then, then several other regions, but, um, Basically, the same plan again and again and again, because it works, you know, what Jesus did. So it always, the first thing is just calling people to return to God, which is repent. Yeah, It's calling people to return to God. And you can't go wrong with that. You, you can't, you can't, in any situation, I've found that, that where a church is not doing well, guaranteed, the members are not walking with God, and their eyes aren't on Jesus. Mm. Guaranteed. Mm. And, and, and you can't go by what people say, because we tend to be deceived. We tend to think we're doing better than we really are. Right. But we have to have real honest talks about where we're at. And, and that's what, you know, what Jesus did is he just assumed, you know, and came in saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And that's the other part is there's a return to God. There's a focus on Jesus and then you have to cast a vision for the kingdom of God. Those are the first three that are elements that are absolutely essential for turning a situation around. Get everybody reading their Bibles and praying. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally what we're doing here right now in, Met- in Metro LA. The, the theme of, of this year has been fix your eyes on Jesus. Wow. That's been our theme. Every sermon has been on Jesus. Every, everything we do has been about Jesus. Every sermon this year has been on on either something Jesus did or something Jesus taught. And we had, we have quiet time. We had a quiet time series. We have memory scriptures. Everything points to Jesus. So the, the big push at the beginning is just getting everybody focused on Jesus and walking with God. And the great thing about that is oftentimes there's, there's, there's political polarity, you know, in, in, in 2004, when I came back, I was told, I was literally told you can preach about anything except for discipleship or evangelism. You are not to talk about those two things. <laughs> so I did a series on loving one another, which is discipleship and right. loving the the lost, which is evangelism. There you, you go. Know? There you go. And I just talked about love, you right. know, and, and who's going to complain about love? Who's going to complain? And, and everything was on Jesus. Everything yeah. was, we were in the gospels for the first year and a half and and the book of hebrews which is a great turnaround book that is that is a book written to turn around a group right it was the purpose of hebrews so um that's why you know the only book i've ever written but it's on hebrews right um because it's such a great turnaround book but those are the the key things and you know um i also learned uh, a little, my, my litmus test, my, my evaluation, you know, when you go to a doctor, he checks your vital signs, right? Right. So 
the vital signs, you know, we get our blood pressure, our weight, our oxygen level, you know, we get those tests. The vital signs that I realized for a church to evaluate was how's their faith? How's their level of love? Um, how is their, their righteousness and their devotion or work? So I call those the four pillars. Faith. Of the faith, love, hard work, and righteousness. And those are the things that, um, that a church will stand on or fall by. And, and, and faith is always, almost always the first one, because when things aren't going well, people lower their faith. Right. And they expect less, they look for less, and they live in the world of scarcity, you know, that, that we don't have money, we don't have talent, we don't have open people, we don't, you know, they just, all they know is they lose faith, they, right. they don't, everything is hard. Get their faith back, and everything changes, mm -hmm. you know, the, the glass is half full instead of half empty and God can do anything instead of where's God, you know? And so that's what we work on. That's what the, that's what the repentance is. That's what the focus is. And we paint a vision of the kingdom of God. I would say with those four colors, with those four brushes of right. faith, of love, of hard work and righteousness, you know, righteousness, obviously you could be doing all the, all the, you know, the, the normal things, but if everybody, if all the men are looking at pornography, that's going to shut you down. Right. You know, right. If you got a church full of conflict, unresolved conflict, that's going to shut you down. Right. So each one of those in its own right is important. And the hard work can be, let's get back to having quiet times mm -hmm. or let's get out there, share our faith, or let's sit down and resolve some conflicts here. That's the hard work of the ministry. That's the hard work of the kingdom and, and being willing to do that. Because what I usually, what I typically find is when, when a church is struggling, okay, the faith isn't there and they need to get back to God. They, and you got to help them. You got to paint the picture of God, call them back to walking with God. The love has to be there. The love for God, that's the call higher, the love for each other, resolving conflicts. Um, of course, the, 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 the righteousness dealing with sin, and then the hard work of having the talks, making the changes, and implementing things that are going to make things happen. And, and, and the amazing thing is that, well, and in all of that, your focus is Jesus. He's, he's the call higher. So for example, I had, I had both extremes in San Diego. I had the the grace crew, there was a lot of people that, you know, these are the same people that said, you can't talk about discipleship and you can't talk about evangelism, but what we do want you to talk about is grace, you know, right. lots of grace. And we don't want you challenging anybody and nobody feeling guilty about anything. Mm -hmm. Then I had the other extreme. I had another region that was the whole church fell away. We're the only true disciples. Everybody just needs to be rebuked and kicked in the rear and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and given their marching orders and we'll be fine. And whoever leaves us, so what? And so the good thing is focusing on Jesus, both sides were happy. Wow. Both sides were like, yeah, we can get behind that. You know, right. <laughs> nobody's going to say wrong focus. Right. Your focus. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is, and I told them, I literally told them because I had two regions that didn't even want to meet together because one was the hardliners. They thought everybody else fell away. They're all a bunch of, you know, emotional um, dead Christians. And then I had the, grace group region that didn't want anything to do with the other region because they're all old school um, legalistic monsters you know and and they didn't like each other and we literally had to talk about it and they both and I had to pitch the idea of focusing on Jesus and they all loved it they all loved that and I told them I said you know to the grace people I said you're gonna have to learn to deal with sin and you're gonna have to learn to to deny yourself and get out there because that's what Jesus did. Mm. And to the hardliners, you're going to have to learn about grace and right. about love and right. about resolving conflict. And so those, those, those were the, 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 I would say the, the pillars, the focus being Jesus. And then of course, um, sending them out, but I didn't send them out right away. Right. You know, Jesus spent three years preparing the apostles and he had some little mini send outs, but not the big send out until the end. And 
um, likewise, you know, one of the things I actually did to unify everybody was we started the Mission Center, um, and that was uh, a center that reaches out to the city's poor and needy. And that unified everybody because everybody agrees that that's pure religion. Everybody right. gets behind right. that. And that was kind of our base for building unity. You know, the different polarity groups in the church kind of came together under that banner of serving and helping the poor. Mm. And it got everybody active. I'll give you one really good illustration is, you know, nobody wanted to go anything like sharing your faith or having evangelistic events or anything at that point. So I, I said, I, I did two things that were just nuts that you would not ever do in a normal situation. <laughs> I got up one Sunday and announced that we're planning a church in Mexico. Wow. Didn't have any authority from anybody other than just, we're going to do this because we're Christians right. and we're going to spread the gospel. And I had talked to some brothers in Mexico who said they would help because they wanted to get it happen, uh, to get it to happen. But, you know, nobody was talking about planning churches at that point. I mean, the question was, will we be a church? You know, are we going to stick around? And and that just, that bold, crazy idea, people actually ended up rallying behind it and got people connected with seeking and saving the lost again. The other thing I did, we announced on one, one Sunday that the following Saturday, we're going to meet in a park and we're going to go door knocking for food for a food shelter. And, and I was hoping, okay, midweek, this was a region of about 250 people. We had about 25 people show up at midweek. So I make this announcement on Sunday, you know, we're going to meet at a park and go door knocking for food for the hungry. I'm hoping 25 will show up. Right. 30, 160 people showed up. Oh my gosh. And we had scheduled door knocking for two hours. After a half hour, we had so much food, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't even store it all. And it really showed me, okay, this church still has a heart. They're just in reaction mode. And that's probably one of the biggest things too, is that if you're trying to turn around a group, you can't react to the reactions. You have to stay steady, focus on Jesus. Okay. Let me stop. And, Let me stop you yeah. right there. That is this is incredible material. Thank you so much for sharing that. Let's let's just let me ask you this. One of the challenges that you're you're talking about there is this reaction mode. You've got people that are angry, they're upset, maybe not even at you, but from past experiences, there's a lot of drama in in yeah. in church i mean big or small there's drama there's anger towards the past bitterness i know for me that's one of the most difficult situations to walk into is i can tend to just go i'm going to avoid what i know is a minefield you know i'll, I'll see a person i go that person's got issues towards me or towards another person i my natural tendency is just avoid the situation how do you deal with the drama of, you know, on a massive scale, like in 800 people. And then how do you just sleep peacefully at night and, and just keep functioning and not just be consumed in your thoughts with like, oh my gosh, this situation, that situation, and just get flooded with too much drama. Yeah. Um, yeah. But wow, those are the million dollar questions. Um, and, and I think so relevant right now with all the drama we're dealing with. Um, Okay, so the first the first part of that question, uh, you walking into a disaster. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a there's a simplicity to that, and a purity in that. It's no mystery what needs to happen or what needs to change. You know, so you know exactly what to do. It's like walking into, you know, where there's been a tornado or an earthquake. The door is lying on the floor. You know, pick up the door and put it back on the hinge. You know, it's not like you have to figure out doors or anything. Um, so there's obvious things that are wrong, and I think also the um, the the challenge of it. Okay, that's the good side of it. Is is and 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 I would add to the good side of that is that God loves difficult situations. Mm. God loves a challenge. You know. And I, there's so many great examples in the Bible, you know, from Gideon to Joshua to 
to Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones of coming into a situation that's bad, right. you know, and God just, God, I mean, he, he's like a, he's like a, like a director of a film. He loves drama, the, <laughs> just show his power, his glory. And, you know, and, and, and so God is glorified in those situations. So one thing that excites me always is, okay, is the worse the situation the more glorious it's going to be That's because true. God's going to want this turned around and he's going to get the glory, right. you know, he's going to get the glory and that's going to be great. So that, that's the positive side. Now the challenging side, you know, when I, I actually, when I moved to San Diego, I, I, I bought a couple of books on turning around churches Wow, and read them. Both of them start out with dire warnings that this can wipe out your health. Yep. This can wipe you out emotionally. Yep. There are ministers who've ended up in hospitals, you know, and 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 certainly it took a toll on me, to be honest, it took a pretty heavy toll on me. Uh, the first six months just getting in there and so many tough talks and so many angry people. What I learned was to take better self-care. Mm. What I had to learn was to take the time I needed um, in prayer and meditation and uh and being quiet and even now you know now my big thing is teaching ministers right now my big thing is teaching ministers to breathe mm. how to breathe mm. and calm yourself down and focus your heart because you're taking on the biggest demons in the valley right and you need extra strength you need jesus uh, so i would say how, how, okay, how do you survive that? And that's a really valid question because it can wipe out people and it does wipe out people. And not just you, but your marriage, your kids, yep. your, family, your family, home life. Yep. And a good, good, good point there with my kids, because the, the, the first Sunday we were there, my daughter was sitting next to me and she looked at me and said, dad, can we please go back to Jersey? This is not the church. Mm-hmm. That's what she said. Wow. This is not the church. And both of them wanted to go back so bad. They talked to Michelle and I. So we had a family meeting and we talked about how, and this is the point of this is that you have to include the whole family because what we said is we could go back to where we know everything is great and everything is going good and we're enjoying the fruits of our labor or we can help this church mm-hmm. and it's going to take a lot, but it, we can help this church and make it great. And they were, they were old enough to remember that the last group we went to was a mess when we moved there, that was central Jersey. Mm-hmm. And we turned that around and how great it was wow. and how hard it was to leave that. And we said, okay, remember what happened there? How would it have been if we just never tried to help them? If we would have just left when they were still, hurting Mm -hmm. and so the kids said no dad we need to stay the other thing they said was dad you need to get back in the ministry wow (laughs) because i'd been out for a while right you know because when we left and moved san diego they didn't hire me so i wasn't technically in the ministry and they said dad you got to get back in (laughs) (laughs) and 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 that was very helpful because they felt like they were part of the solution right you know, and they did. They actually helped the preteen ministry get going, which turned into a great teen ministry, which is right as they were growing into colleges when we, Michelle and I, got involved with the campus ministry. Wow. And they helped rebuild that. So I think that that part of making it a family project that we're going to turn around this church. But I do think self-care is huge, mm-hmm. you know, and and um, I mean, right now, OK, this might be controversial, um, but I don't. I, I don't take appointments before 11 because before 11 a.m. because I need about three hours with God mm. and with the word and with meditation, breathing, and even, you know, this might even be more controversial, but even yoga and Tai Chi, you know, mm-hmm. to, to help me just to be balanced, to be emotionally and mentally healthy. Right. Because it is... I think we have vastly underestimated how hard this is. Oh my gosh. And of course we've got a, a trail of tears of people that didn't, you know, are burned out in the ministry. Right. So 
yeah, you got to protect yourself. You really, and the other part is relationships. That well, is incredibly important. Okay, so let's let's just do a little off ramp right there. Talking about burnout, self care. Let's talk COVID. Let's talk the yeah. pressure ministers are feeling right now. They're disconnected from their ministry. All the signposts and the indicators of how people are doing are gone. Um, it's a very challenging situation. What what can you tell ministers to do that could help them in their self care to keep keep faithful, keep strong mentally and emotionally and physically uh, during this time? Yeah, I um, I think the probably the very first thing is self awareness. You know, uh, being aware of where you're at, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what is going to challenge you and make it difficult for you. And, and that, that's even kind of a precursor to the situation. I, I just think uh, for any leader, self-awareness is uh, key because the success of a leader depends a lot on his self-management. And if you're not self-aware, then you can't manage yourself. And, and you've got to be self-aware. And there's everything from personality profile tests to 360 evaluations to just, you know, having good talks with people you trust that will give you good feedback on where they think you're at. But you really, you cannot um, depend on yourself to know yourself. You have to get help. Um, I think understanding the, the, the challenge that we face in leadership is uh, really important. You know, there's some great stuff out there. We just had, uh, what was the couple that we just had here Saturday? Uh, the Shapiros just did a class here on for the ministry staff and um but there's a there's a lot of good material out there and classes out there but but you have to be aware that the challenges we face the emotional challenges the 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 stress levels that we deal with the anxiety that we deal with we're in life drama constantly right that you know and if you compare it to any other profession like a counselor or a therapist they have all these built-in self-care things, modules that we don't mm -hmm, have, right. you know, and even a simple thing like the Sabbath, you know, that we should be practicing mm -hmm. uh, so that we're able to rest, that we're able to, you know, let our minds be disconnected from the usual day-to-day -day problems. So I, I, you know, I think those things are, are incredibly important. And then of course, relationships that are, that build you up, that yeah. help you. That's great. Um, relation we have friends that just believe in us that we can totally let our hair down and be ourselves mm. you know and and share our worst fears and our our secrets and our struggles in a non-judgmental setting safe setting right where somebody knows that they're going to help us if we're in sin they're not going to ignore it but they're not going to pretend it's not there but they're not going to judge us and condemn us because right. of it because they know our hearts, those relationships, we, everybody's got to have at least a couple of those. And I think, especially right now, with all the stress and anxiety, um, the, the, I mean, it, the, the lids just being blown off right now, yep. everything from suicide rates, to mental health issues, to addiction issues, right. and to marriage issues. I mean, right. the the, 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 the demand for marriage therapy and counseling is like going through the roof right now. Um, you know, and, and here's the funny, the, the funny thing about it all is the tough, I, you've probably said this a bunch of times too. I, I've preached it many times. The hardest people to love are the people in your home, right? You know, because they know you and they, <laughs> they get on each other's nerves and, and that's why Jesus said, let your light shine in your home. You know, that's why it says that he says, you know, and, and yeah, we love, we love our people in our home the most, but we also the hardest to get along with sometimes. And here we are stuck together right. for oh, yeah. eight, nine, 10 months with kids and everything, yeah. you know, like that. I saw, I saw one of those memes of a, remember the family from the shining? Yes. It was a, pic, a family picture of them. And above it said, Six months in a hotel or in a, in a house locked up alone, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that right now it's really important that we are focused 
on healing from God, on walking with God, on being with God. I think, I think God is press, pushing us to develop some of the spiritual disciplines, mm -hmm. like meditating, being mindful, um, being uh, present, yeah. um, breathing, yeah. uh, things that you know that we don't normally think of. And these are these are disciplines that were huge in the church yeah. before, mm -hmm. but of course, with Western culture, we've 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 drifted far from them. But but ways to center ourselves with God to be in the presence of God, to walk with God. You know, these are, you know, you know how a, a tree in the summer and the spring, it grows on the outside, the branches, the fruit, the leaves, but in the winter, the roots grow. This is a winter for us. It should be right. where our roots are growing deeper and deeper into God. And, and I think that, that um, encouragement, holding each other's arms up, helping one another, healing each other, are really important right now. I right. think the whole world is stressed out right yeah. now. Oh, I agree. <laughs> the whole world. Yeah. And we all, you know, it hits us all in different ways. People, some people de are getting depressed, are depressed. Some people are just angry. Some people feel hopeless. Yeah. I think being aware of that, you know, just knowing the setting you're in. So what would Jesus do? Right. And what would Jesus say? That's you know? super, that's super helpful. And I think you're you're talking about meditation. That's something I've been working on the the past ten years, and it helps me so much. Now I don't talk about it a lot to people because there's kind of a a stigma associated with Eastern religion, right? And yet it's it, you know that's it, it has no there's Christian meditation that goes back you oh. know just thousands of years, and so. It, it helps me so much to take time to be in the presence of God, to slow down my breathing, just to focus on being, not focusing on what I have to plan for the ministry or worry about situations, but just focus on, hey, I'm saved right now. I, yeah. Jesus is with me. You know, there's yeah. there are phrases and, and passages from the Bible that really help me. And just, I can just feel myself calm down. And it, it if I don't have that in the morning, I feel so much jumpier, anxious. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard for me to concentrate, and and so I'm so glad you brought that up. Now let me let me go to a question, Robert. Going back to your your time in San Diego, we're not going to have time to cover your turnaround in Hope or or Central LA, but we'll use San Diego as a model, if you don't mind. One of the most common questions that I get from smaller church leaders is, how do you motivate older disciples? Oftentimes there's a, a younger leader walks into a situation, maybe they're in their 20s or 30s, but they've got disciples that are in their 40s, 50s, even 60s, and they're like, they don't seem like they're ready to, to move. How did you do that in San Diego, and how would you recommend a person, you know, light the fire under established disciples? Yeah, yeah. I, I, love, I love working with older disciples. I think they're... Um, there's definitely been times in my life where it was like, oh no, I got a bunch of old people, you know. Right. <laughs> and what I've what I've realized, for me at least, is that um, I just have to think about what moves me, what inspires me, because I'm an older disciple, right? You know. Um, and you know, the the for older disciples, I mean, to be fair some of them are just bored, you know, I mean, they've been hearing the same old, same old for 35 years. And it's one thing if you're delivering it, because it's still a kind of exciting for you. But if you're the one just sitting in the pew listening, yeah, the same kind of sermon, the same kind of lessons, the same, you know, the and, and it's just, it's going to get old. It, and it is, it really does reflect a, a, a lack of growth, in leadership, a lack of depth. What do, what fires up older Christians? I have found is deeper spirituality. That's what moves them. That's what excites them. They still love God. We just can't paint God in the same with the same brushes. We have to to find ways to introduce and present God. That's why I I believe that like you've probably heard of the the, the Bema podcast. Mm -hmm. You know. It is, I mean, it's exploded in our fellowship. Why? Because it's deeper spiritual teaching. Mm -hmm. And 
unfortunately, I think we, we've got too used to motivational preaching that what didn't have the depth and didn't, didn't present God at a deeper and deeper level. We, you know, we all have to keep growing. We all have to add to our faith knowledge and knowledge goodness and the goodness, you know, we have to keep adding or what? We become ineffective and unproductive. Right. And I think that's what's happened to a lot of older Christians. Right. I think the, the, the whole spiritual formation movement is, is um, I believe it, that is a movement from God. I believe that is motive, moved by the Holy Spirit. And I know that some things can get a little weird out there sometimes, but but I do think the the things that people are learning right now about uh, being mindful and being present and inviting God's presence and connecting with God and and walking with God throughout the day in prayer, these things uh, they they are super inspiring. And I I mean I'm I'm reading books. I'm getting you know I'm getting my doctorate right now in spiritual formation, and I, every week, I, I feel like I'm blowing gaskets in my brain because I'm learning so much about God right. and about walking with God mm. and what being spiritual means. And I, and, and the book, and I'm, I'm saying this, I probably bought in the last three months, 25 books and mailed them to people. And because they just rocking my world and, and people are, are let, you know, responding saying this book is, you know, I've had people crying saying this book is totally, and, and, and here's the hilarious part. What's the book about? What the book's about prayer? Wait, haven't we been talking about prayer the last 35 years? Right. But there's something about the focus and intentionality of spiritual formation mm -hmm. that I find just reviving and exciting disciples. Mm -hmm older disciples especially and here's the funny thing is it revives and excites older disciples and it's just very like connect easily connects to younger right. generation right things like meditation oh yeah teach me i want right. to do that right. you know i mean it's, they don't have the hang-ups right that, <laughs> you know, older people have about eastern religion exactly and stuff like that they're just like yeah they want they're more hungry for spirituality so Here's something that feeds, gives a vision and inspires both groups, the younger people coming up and the older Christians who are hungry for something deeper, richer. You know? Okay. So you've recommended a book that I started reading called, I think it's called Forming. It's got, oh, a, uh, um, it's, um, it's got yeah, a ship on the a surface. Work of, a work of grace. Uh, yeah. yeah. David Tackle, right? That's been a great book, and I've, I've really appreciated it. Any other books that you would recommend to, for listeners that, that want to just get a little taste of what you're talking about, spiritual formation? Who? yeah. Um, anything by Dallas Willard. Okay. <laughs> um, Dallas Willard, uh, um, Dr. Rohr. Gosh, I'm terrible with... Um, I, I, I would say for guys in the ministry or... or yeah, Benner. What's this? David Benner. These are authors um, that have a number of just great books about walking with God. Um, for the ministry, guys, I got a book right here. This is actually the professor of my class right now on how to lead groups through spiritual transformation. And that's a fantastic book. It's called Practicing the Way of Jesus. Okay. Got it right here in my hands. Practicing um, the way of Jesus. By Mark Scandrit. This is this is more of a ministry book, you know, of, of how to help people be spiritually formed, you know, or or find formation, spiritual formation. It's a it's a kind of a to, more of a to-do book, but it's great. It goes hand in hand with all the other formation books. Right. The one or, you recommended was called Forming a Work of Grace by David yes. Tackle. Yes. That's, and that's, that's been a good book. Okay, that's very helpful. Okay. Now, you've been super active during COVID developing an online ministry. And you shared that you've, you've got an incredible studio and you've been doing videos. How did that happen? And, and how can a person, well, why don't we just start there? How did, how did that develop? Um, it, it, it happened, you know, we, we'd only been here two and a half months, three months in 
you know, the pandemic hit. Um, and I, we were trying to connect with the region. So uh, when we could no longer meet, my, my first instinct was start doing lessons and do daily devotionals, you know, and because our goal was to raise up the spirituality, you know, we were in that shuv stage, we were in the mm -hmm. repent stage for the kingdom of God is near. And our goal was to get the church walking with God. So we started out with just making lots of devotionals, morning devotionals, like little 20 minute, 20 to 30 minute devotionals. We went through the book of Hebrews together. Um, and then of course, also the, we were requested to do it in Spanish. So we did them in Spanish and English. And um, um, at first I started at five days a week, which you know, I had the advantage of, of we, we already had somebody who knew how to videotape, you know, right. and little by little that grew into becoming an entire studio. But the first thing was just to meet the need, one of getting people to, to, to still meet the goal, even though we didn't have our usual sources. And as it turns out, I think it catapulted us forward because instead of hearing a lesson or a devotional twice a week, now they're listening to them, listening to devotionals five, six days a week, six days mm -hmm. a week. Mm -hmm. And Michelle started doing one for the women on Friday mornings, which they loved. Um, the women just absolutely loved that. So, and, and honestly, we just did it to meet the need, meet the need, because right. we can't get with anybody when there's no meetings, there's right. no appointments. So here's what I'm going to do every day. And um yeah, and turn around a few months later, and next thing you know, I think we have about almost probably about 300 videos now. That's amazing. Um, now, yeah. what advice would you give? Now, I, I'm sure that almost every minister is, is doing some type of an online presence or streaming yeah. or something like that. But what advice would you give to a person, especially in a smaller church, limited resources, who wants to build a better online ministry? I mean, I know for our, <laughs> my, my church in Tucson, I've made some huge mistakes and, and really poor production, uh, you know, quality. What advice would you give? Well, um, you know, one, one thing I did was just look around who's, who's got something going and try to see what I could learn from there, from them, which spotlighted the weakness we had, which like our website wasn't very good. Um, and, it was hard to find our materials and things like that. I also spoke to brothers who were doing something like um, Tony, what's his Tony Fernandez and yep. South Broward was doing some great stuff already. Um, I know, you know, Stuart Baines was jumping on some things and, and um, Christian Ray actually has a service of helping, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably aware of, of him and yep. what he's doing. Yeah. He's helping churches do that very thing. There's also a group of sisters in Denver that are helping churches with their online presence. We actually hired them recently, uh, just a couple of months ago, to help us take it to the next level. Because um, I would say, you know, with, with just looking around and talking to people, we figured out some things, YouTube channel, we figured out labeling things, putting covers on it, all the, a lot of the mechanical stuff. Um, but where what we have not really figured out yet is how to turn those into baptisms, you know, mm -hmm. how to, how to, cause we have a lot of listeners now and yeah. And, oh yeah. And, and um, we've got a lot of family and friends and who are studying the Bible and we've started to see the fruit of that for sure. But the other people who I don't know that are out there watching um, and Tony's done a lot of great work with that, Tony Fernandez. So we're learning from him. We're learning from these sisters. We're, we're, we're just trying to get all the input we can from around. Um, but but uh, there are some resources in our fellowship, you know, the, the sisters in Denver. Uh, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of their group. They're the ones that hosted the, uh, the, the big uh, Stronger Conference. Okay. Okay. They, they hosted that. I'm sure if you look up the Stronger Conference, you'd nope. see their name on there. No but I know Christian Ray, he's got his group in, in Austin that helps churches. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, terrific. Well, thank you so much for your time. And unfortunately, I mean, we could just keep talking. This could be easily <laughs> two to three hour conversation, but I don't, I know you're a busy 
person and have, have got a lot going on. But if a person's listening, they and they go, "Wow, that person's making a difference." They're turning around their church. They're they're seeing things happen. I mean, it's inspiring, Robert. It's abs- I totally respect the work that you're doing, and I, I hope we can keep in touch going forward. What advice would you give? to a person who, a man or woman who wants to live a no regrets life and make this life count. Mm. Any, any words that you would give that person? Yeah. Um, uh, do what's important. Don't swallow camels. You know, in Matthew 23, when Jesus told him you straighten out a gnat, you swallow a camel. Mm-hmm. Make sure that your, your life reflects your priorities that's great first do what's first and uh keep first things first do what's most important and make sure that your schedule in your life reflects your priorities and most importantly jesus's priorities wow With, I have this quote that I, on my desk right now, um, with God's help, I am becoming myself. Wow. And, you know, God has made us in his image and he has a plan for us. If we'll focus on him and do the things that he wants us to do, God will turn us, he will transform us and he will use us to do great things. Mm. Our problem is we run off in this hurried life and chase things that they're good, but they may not be great, you know? And I, I would say to any anybody out there in the ministry listening, make sure you do first things first. Make sure your priorities are God's priorities and look at your week and evaluate it. Mm. You know, am I doing, Am I is my time being spent the way I want it to be spent, the way I believe God wants me to spend it? That's great. Uh, so powerful, so powerful. Before we get off, there's just one other thing I'd like to talk to you about. I know that you're involved with uh, some disciples in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and that that's a church that I love so much. I was baptized in the San Francisco church back in the mid-'80s. I, I, I know that you also have a history back there with Tom Brown and Tom Marks mm. and Tom Snyder yeah. back in the day. Can you tell me what's been going on recently? Yeah, there's there's a uh, a couple who um, started a house church in South San Francisco, and um, they are very connected to the International Churches of Christ. You know, as, as a family, they've been they've been disciples longer than I have, so probably around forty to forty two years, and um, they didn't find the fit in the Bay Area church, and they started a house church, really kind of modeling it after what we would call the, you know, the ICLC and it's caught on and, and um, they're, you know, they're having a great time. They're, they're having a really great time. Even in the pandemic, um, they watch an ICLC service. Actually, they watch the service from here in LA <laughs> and then they have a discussion group on zoom and, and uh, it's, I think it's really great. Cause I think a lot of people have had a hard time finding uh, a spot in the Bay area and this is home for them. You know, mm-hmm. this is the ICLC that they know and love of who we are now. And um, uh, they're a great couple who've uh, just been fantastic pillars in the church in San Diego for decades. Mm-hmm. And now they, because of work, he had to move to the Bay Area. So yeah, they're, and they're exploding at the seams and they have kinds of people showing up. So, wow. so yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's fun. That's great. If, if someone wanted more information on that, would they just talk to you about that? How They can go they... to Disciples Today and look up San Francisco. Okay. And they'll see it right there. It's the, uh, they call it the San Francisco House Church. That's okay. what they call it. Terrific. San Francisco House Church. It's not officially a planting. It's, not, it's just a group of disciples getting together. I, I consider it kind of like, uh, you know, uh, how the church was started in Antioch. You know, the Holy Spirit just started it with the disciples that had been scattered. That's right. That's right. Okay. I'm going to definitely keep my eye on that. Thank you for sharing about that. 
Uh, Robert, thank you so much for the time. Really, again, filled with respect and, and look forward to talking to you more about this. And I want to thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. It's great to talk every week. And my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends and family know. Have a great day and make this life count.